More giggles next April Fool's Day. April 1st, that's when uh, retailers are allowed to sell cannabis through private retail storefront locations. Doors open uh, on April 1st, April Fool's Day. I believe December 17th is when they will start accepting licenses for all of this. To talk more, Michael Armstrong is with his Ph.D. associate professor Goodman School of Business, Brock University, and on the line now. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me on the show. Are you surprised with any of the rules or regulations that we've seen come out from the Ontario government in regard to private retail? Um, what has come out so far, the two points that interested me most are that the government is going to require all these retail stores to actually be standalone stores. Uh, you can't have them built into another store. And that they've put a limit on the number of outlets per chain at 75 stores. So, uh, interesting points. Uh, let's start with the uh, standalone stores. What, what, what surprises you here? What's the advantage, disadvantage of having standalone stores? It doesn't surprise me. It's the route that most other provinces have taken. Uh, having a standalone store makes it easier to regulate. Uh, um, there's no other products there. You've got less crossover in terms of, well, if you went in to buy liquor and then you bought cannabis or vice versa. Um, so that's one concern on the on the health side is we don't want to you know get people who are currently on one substance to <laughs> start using another substance as well. So that's understandable. Uh, it makes it easier to enforce regulations about keeping minors out of the stores, that kind of thing. Um, so that's not surprising. It's what so most have they... done. But the catch is uh, some parts of rural Ontario uh, therefore may be left out. Um, smaller towns that can't support a standalone cannabis store that sells nothing but cannabis, there just isn't enough market for it, uh, they may not get a store because of that. Whereas if you look at uh, Newfoundland, for example, um, they've recognized that you know, a lot of Newfoundland is uh, just small towns. Uh, so they've allowed a number of their licenses to go to uh, what's basically a store within a store, like a, a service desk, much like a lot of stores sell tobacco behind a counter. Uh, Newfoundland allows that. Uh, cannabis is sold in some places be, just behind a counter, say as part of a larger grocery store. So for most of Ontario, that's going to work out fine, but I think for rural Ontario, they might feel left out in some places. So by standalone, they mean that no other products, no other services can be purchased in that store? Well, it means, for example, you can't have your local convenience store that currently also sells tobacco products, right. can't also sell cannabis products. Uh, your grocery store... Uh, like my the big grocery stores I go to, uh, some of them have a little wine outlet where they can buy uh, bottles of wine at the front. Uh, a lot of them have a, a desk where you could buy uh, can or not cannabis but tobacco. Sorry, uh, they won't be able to set up a little service counter just selling cannabis. So it's going to have to be actually a separate store. Now what's missing at this point uh, for this and actually all the other regulations is the regulations themselves haven't actually been posted. Uh, they've just had the announcement kind of hitting the main points. So we're not sure yet whether standalone means physically, uh, you know, has to be a brick and mortar building or can it be like, can you have an attachment to a grocery store with a door, mm. uh, leading into the cannabis section? Is that going to be, uh, allowed, uh, or some of the places that are, are coming more at it from a coffee shop angle, can they have a, a coffee shop on one side, you go through a door, get to a cannabis, uh, store on the other side. So that's still not certain. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see once they actually post the regulations and have those details. What about something like a strip mall? How would that work? 
Um, I imagine that a strip mall there would count that as standalone. Yeah, because uh, it's again, a separate the, entrance. Yeah, it's a separate entrance. Mm-hmm. There's no passageways from one store to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, an indoor mall, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Uh, uh, I don't think that would be something they'd want to disallow. But I ha- again, I haven't seen what the uh, the specific wording is yet. Can you see them revisit that, especially as you said, with the concerns of rural Ontario? I can see that happening uh, a year or two from now, or, or sorry, a year or two after the stores start opening in April, uh, when rural areas start to, uh, well, in some cases they may be quite happy not to have a store, I suppose, but the ones that want the store are going to start complaining to their MPPs and saying, hey, uh, you know, we can't support a standalone. Uh, we don't want to have to drive into the nearest big town just to buy a, a package. Um, and so they're going to point to the LCBO, uh, places that aren't big enough to support an LCBO store. Instead, there's what they call an agency store. So the LCBO will, will license uh, a local grocery store or some other retailer in the area to have a, a small section of the store selling alcohol where it's a, r- a rural kind of market. So I could see that coming uh, in a couple of years following that similar model. You talked about uh, 75, uh, any one operator can open uh, 75 stores. I noticed it said operator instead of owner. Does that, does, is there a fine line there? I'm interested to see what, how they're defining that. Uh, again, uh, once the actual rules get posted, we can dig into the details. Um, because that also brings up the issue of, uh, you know, how do they count partnerships? How do they count subsidiaries? Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of thing. So uh, I, I don't know that yet. I'm certainly going to dig into that as soon as it comes out. Um, but just going with the number 75, um, it doesn't surprise me that they did put a number. Um, I think 75 is maybe on the low side. Uh, it is enough to have a, so that an operator could have uh, a province-wide chain. But they wouldn't have that uh, very much density in their coverage. So let me give you some examples. Um, the uh, Walmart uh, across Ontario has about 150 outlets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're limiting a single uh, chain to 75 for cannabis, they're going to be about half as common as Walmart's, right. um, which is not all that convenient. Um, but that's, course, per, but that's yeah. per company, right? That's so, right. That's yeah. per company. So there are going to be lots of companies with right. 75, presumably. Uh, so from a consumer perspective, I think we're going to have over a thousand stores across the province uh, in a year or so. Uh, so I don't think we will, except again in rural areas, I don't think we'll have a problem finding a place to buy it. But a sto- uh, in terms of a business that wanted to set up a province-wide chain, uh, I think they're going to run into that 75 very quickly. And so they're going to have to kind of budget and say, okay, where do I really want my stores uh, rather than just going everywhere? So, you know, some chains just won't set up in, say, St. Catharines. Right. Uh, they might be choosing, okay, St. Catharines and Niagara Falls, where it's, which, what's more important to me? So, yeah, I, I, th- I think there's a logic to having a limit. You, you don't want just one or two big chains dominating the whole market. Um, but 75, I think, is a little tight. Um, Alberta, for comparison, they set their limit at 15% of the overall market. Uh, so nowhere than 15% of all the licenses in Alberta can go to any one operator. Uh, so, you know, translating that to Ontario, assuming about a thousand stores, I would have set a, a number like 150 or 200 stores 
uh, might be a better uh, limit, uh, small enough that you can't dominate the province, but big enough you can actually have province-wide coverage. Uh, they say they're doing that to uh, create opportunities for small business. Does that do that? Uh, to an extent it does, to the extent it prevents any one uh, chain from dominating. But uh, as you point out, there's going to be more than one chain. Uh, we don't know exactly who those will be yet. Um, but uh, coffee shop operators that transition to uh, cannabis, uh, other retailers that decide to open up a cannabis subsidiary. So I think that is trying, but, um, you know, honestly, setting up a mom and pop store in cannabis, I think maybe in the, uh, the first year or two, uh, there's going to be a, um, some opportunities. But kind of thinking in the long run, uh, you can set up a mom and pop store in any other kind of retailing, but, you know, most of us buy from big chains. So I get my it, groceries from big chain stores, even though, yes, there are independent grocery stores around. Not many people use them. It's it's tough to compete as a mom and pop against a, uh, a large chain. So do you think this industry will be any different than any other industry in that respect, that we will just gravitate towards the larger chains, or will it be like a craft brewery type of thing where that will be uh, the incentive, that will be the attraction? I think you've, you've uh, hit it right on the, the nail on the head there. The I think it's going to be both. I think what you're going to see is the majority of the market, uh, particularly once uh, edible products become available, uh, which is also happening sometime next year, sometime in 2019, uh, I think you're going to see most of the market is going to gradually become just like other industries where there's going to be uh, relatively... Uh, large chains, established brand name retailers, uh, established brand name producers, and that's where most of most of the customers will buy. Uh, but more on the, uh, I'm not sure, gourmet or aficionado might be the right word here, but uh, people who really want a particular cannabis experience uh, are willing to pay a little bit more for that. They're going to go more like as you say, with the craft brewery, the uh, the vineyards that uh, sell their own wine and offer wine tastings. So those people are really into the specific uh, taste, scent, whatever, of specific products. I think, yes, that's where I think I can see a mom-and-pop kind of uh, operation, not just kind of setting up a corner cannabis store. Yeah, that could work, but it's probably be tough to compete. But setting up something kind of distinctive, uh, that wine tasting, beer tasting kind of experience, having products that you can't get in the mass chain stores, that's, I think, a niche that uh, individuals might want to pursue. Uh, obviously, regulations around how close to schools and such, 150 meters. Are you surprised there isn't something in regard to how close they can be to a place serving alcohol or selling alcohol? Um, I not surprised at that. I don't, so can don't you put one that, next to a beer store? Um, unless there's some rule that says you can't, I suppose you could. Yeah. Um, there is a general kind of vague clause about uh, not allowed where it might infringe on, uh, what is it, safety, community health, something along those lines. Uh, I suppose could be used to disallow certain locations. Um, but, I mean, why wouldn't you? Uh, I mean, you're not, we're not talking about places where people will consume cannabis. We're talking about where they will buy it. So, you know, going back to your example of a strip mall. Okay, there's a liquor store in one end of the strip mall. There's uh, another store that will sell you your cannabis. There's probably already a convenience store that will sell you your tobacco. 
and uh, you can pick up some groceries on your uh, while you're there. Four different stores, all in the same strip mall. It's just shopping convenience. Uh, will there will there be something like lounges? With will people be able to consume in these? Because that would you know, if you look similar to a bar, uh, you can't purchase anything there and take with you. Although I guess you can now. Uh, in certain limitations, how are they going to get around that? Is that especially if it's like a coffee sh- coffee shop atmosphere? Well, that's that's a piece of the puzzle that's currently missing on the retail side. Just like currently, the uh, edible cannabis products are missing on the production side. Um, I don't know how. I mean, I can't predict how the Ontario government is going to go on that. I think that's something they're going to. Uh, they're not going to be in a rush to do. Um, Absolutely, there are already operators, well, there's already illegal uh, places to go smoke, uh, lounges, uh, and absolutely there is a, an interest in the industry to be able to offer those uh, on a legal basis. Uh, there's, a, to some extent, a legitimate need uh, for consumers who live in non-smoking uh, buildings, if they rent an apartment, for example, and the apartment building doesn't allow smoking of cannabis, uh, having a lounge where you go someplace, legally consume it, and not bother anybody, that's probably a legitimate need. But I can't see uh, a conservative government with uh, you know, some socially conservative uh, supporters being in a rush to uh, legalize that. Um, 19 years of age uh, to purchase the product, but interesting, you have to be 19 to even go in the store. Unlike an LCBO or a beer store, you can go in. Although the LCBO, LCBO stores say that, you know, people under 19 shouldn't touch the product, shouldn't touch the bottles, which is bizarre to me. <laughs> I, I really don't understand what difference that makes if your kid helps you unload your shopping cart, but that's another story. Uh, surprised to see that, that 19 year old, uh, under 19 can't even go into the store. No, um, I mean, as as you say, it's it's not surprising. As you say, it, it's kind of bizarre if if they did allow them into the store, but say, okay, you're not allowed to touch the product and you're not allowed to use the product, but we would let you in the store where you're surrounded by the product. Yeah. Uh, so it's probably just simpler to have that rule and say, no, just don't bring your kids into the cannabis store. Uh, makes it simpler for enforcement. Uh, you know, if you if somebody sees a kid in a cannabis store, now they know they don't belong there, yeah. as opposed to wondering, okay, is there a parent around? Uh, why didn't they and just then again do, coming back to why know, didn't they just do that with LCBOs and beer stores? Hey, no one under the age even gets to go in. Oh well, now, now you're asking a big question about you know why do we even have LCBO stores? <laughs> um, but uh, you know, coming back to the cannabis, uh, yeah, it's again, the other reason is you know every, if you read the press announcement, the uh, big bold font on the on the titles is talking about you know law and order and public security and safety and you know, strict enforcement. So putting that little clause in and says, oh, yeah, you can't take your kids in the cannabis store yeah. is a nice way to back up the the image, I think, that the government wants to send of, of law and order mm-hmm. without really interfering much with the selling of the product. Uh, so they're trying, like in everything else, they're trying to balance competing is, uh, issues and competing uh, voters here, I think. Uh, December seventeenth, when they start taking uh, license applications, who's who's interested in this? Uh, will it be a floodgate? Will it be? Uh, it's not worth it. I mean, it, it reminds me very much of beer in grocery stores. Everybody thought everybody would be doing it, and then grocers are questioning whether it's worth it, whether it's worth the hassle, the price, etc. Um, I think there is going to be a rush. Uh, how big a rush? I'm not sure. Um, there are already some larger. 
uh, corporations who've expressed interest, uh, like Second Cup has is, is talked several times about converting some of its stores. Uh, Loblaw, the grocery chain, already has cannabis licenses in uh, Newfoundland. Uh, they've got some in Calgary, so it would be very natural for them to, uh, once the detailed regulations come out, I'm sure their lawyers are going to be looking at those and saying, okay, is there a business case here? Uh, how how much does standalone have to be alone? Can we can we bolt on a little annex to our grocery stores and sell cannabis there? Um, so uh, I think there's lots of big operators interested. Uh, I think there are lots of individuals we'll see as well. Um, I know even within my own here my business program, there are students who are talking about setting up a cannabis store uh, after graduation. Um, some of them even have business plans sketched out. So I think people who've been preparing uh, for this are now going to say, okay, they've got one month, uh, get all their uh, paperwork in order. Uh, and yeah, I think we're going to see a, at least a small rush. Um, and part of that's going to be motivated uh, based on grabbing good uh, locations. Uh, they want some, some companies have already rented or at least got an agreement to rent a sites based on what they assumed would be allowed. Um, so they're going to get they're going to get a license on that to uh, to back up their investment. And pricing will be exactly the same as the Ontario cannabis store, correct? I mean, everything very much like what we have with beer and grocery stores. Everything is the exact same price as it is in in the other outlets. Yeah, and again, that's something I want to see the details on. Uh, what do they mean by exact uh, or same price? Is that you know literally uh, cross referencing everything on the cannabis website? Uh, because, uh, for example, uh, what if a retailer carries a different selection of products? Mm. Uh, the, Won't they all have to be licensed, though, every product? Well, every producer is licensed, uh, every retailer is licensed, but that doesn't mean every retailer will necessarily carry every product of every producer. Right. Uh, just like if we, you, know, you go buy groceries, um, I get most of my groceries at one store, but I go to another store once in a while to pick up products I can't get. But would the price of a slice of cheese be the same right across all those stores, is I guess is what I'm saying. That's a really good example. Defines cheese. Because <laughs> there's, you know, there's all these different kinds of... A slice... Cheese, a, cheese. I know, but say it was a craft single, individually wrapped. <laughs> would it be I, the same price all the way across? Uh, I, again, I haven't... They don't have the details of that rule out yet, but I would imagine, yes, if you have exactly the same product as what is on the uh, Ontario website, I imagine you're going to have to follow that price. Um, but what if you don't? What if you have a product that's not on the Ontario site? Um, that's like are, wine. That's like wine and wineries, and, and and you know when you go to a restaurant, oh, you can buy this here, but you can't buy it at the LCBO. Blah blah blah. I mean, this is going to be quite complex, isn't it? This is going to be tough uh, for them to police. Potentially, and, and and then you start thinking about okay, does that mean we can't have a sale? Yeah. Uh, does that mean we can't have a promotion other than a sale? So okay, I have to charge the full list price, but hey, I can throw in mm. uh, a free cannabis T-shirt if you buy my cannabis product bec- this week. Um, all, there's lots of little details uh, it, when, the, if, when the government starts trying to regulate the actual practice of the store, the actual what are they going to do day to day with things like, okay, you have to charge the same price. Uh, that's opening up a huge can of worms and I think lots of employment opportunities for lawyers. Michael Armstrong has been with his PhD associate professor Goodman School of Business, Brock University. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks. It's been a pleasure chatting.